Hello and welcome back to Shadow Particles. It's season three, episode two of a His Dark Materials companion podcast. I'm your host, Evan Minto, and uh, this time I've got a first time guest on Shadow Particles. Welcome to the show, Winston. Thanks, Evan. Uh, good to be here. <laughs> yeah, you've been you've been watching along in our group watch for all three seasons, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Uh, yeah, been there but since ha- I haven't one. had you on the show yet. Yep. Yeah. This is exciting. So, uh, just a recap before we, we dive into this week's episode. The house rules. There will be no show spoilers. Uh, that gets a little bit complicated with the release schedule of uh, the, the third season of His Dark Materials. But uh, yeah, we're, we're going to be talking about episode two and we will avoid spoiling anything uh, coming later or anything that's like book only thus far that, that we know from reading. And uh, yeah, as I established last episode, the release schedule is very weird for season three. So at the time that we're recording this, episodes three and four are already out. I actually I have not watched four yet, but uh, we both watched three. But we're going to kind of avoid talking about three. I'll have a whole episode on that where you can listen to thoughts with a different guest on episode three. I, I actually just rewatched two today, too. Also, I skimmed it again just to have a quick. Yeah, idea. yeah, I did the same thing. Because it's like, yeah, it's hard kind of, yeah, you you were probably thinking the same thing as me. It's like hard to do uh, one of these kind of companion podcast things with this release schedule because it's like I've already seen three. And so I I need to like compartmentalize like I'm talking about just episode two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was kind of to avoid spoilers as best to like remind myself. But it was pretty interesting rewatching it actually after watching three. It was kind of interesting seeing some of the stuff there, but we can't talk about any of that because that is... Exactly not. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, so my my three questions for every guest before we get into the episode discussion. Uh, first, your background with His Dark Materials. Uh, well, I had read it once as a child, at least books one and two. Um, and then I started rereading it when season one came out. I think that was my third reread. Um, and I guess... Uh, <laughs> I'll just mention this here now. Uh, I have like a huge issue with finishing media. Um, so oh, that's right. Yeah. I was going to bring it up myself yeah. if you didn't. No, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just bring it up now <laughs> and admit it because I think that basically has to do with the my history with his dark materials. Because right now I'm currently halfway, well, a little bit more than halfway through book three, uh, and I got to that point last year. Uh, and I need to finish it. I've been looking forward, honestly, to the season release because I was thinking to myself, I'm like. Once the season comes out, I will have no more time to procrastinate and I will have to finish reading the book. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. And I, I don't expect to, to fail on this, this mission of mine to finish reading this book before the uh, kind of before next week, actually. <laughs> yeah, honestly, um, I was like, oh, I should have Winston on. But I was like, I, I don't know if I, you know, I was scheduling out like who do I want to have for which episode? And I was like, I better get Winston in early because it's very possible he just doesn't finish watching the show. <laughs> No, I, I'll, I'll <laughs> I can't have him on the podcast. That's fair. Yeah. Um. Um, yeah. So, what? Uh, what was your opinion on seasons one and two? Mm. Um. I think, generally speaking, and I often find myself like in our like post episode watching discussions, um, as like someone who's a little bit more critical. Um, I'm like often pretty critical of like sort of this caliber of television. Um prestige tv yeah prestige tv exactly and it's like there's a 
there's a level of writing that's like, mm, it can get to a point where it's quite exceptional. And then sometimes it falls a little short of that. And I like, will pick up, I all sort of pick on them for that. But I think like season one started off a little bit rocky for me. Cause one yeah, of the things for me, yeah. One of the things for me is like, um, the pacing was strange, but also I think the biggest thing for me is always for almost every show, how well characters are written. And I think that was, mm-hmm. uh, I remember being a little disappointed in that for a while. I think everyone actually had that feeling. I think we all sort of had this opinion. It's like uh, not really vibing with Lyra. And then at some point, suddenly we all were. We're like, no, actually, this is very mm-hmm. good. This is very much Lyra Silvertongue. So um, at first it started Rocky, but I've really enjoyed, uh, I really enjoyed season two. Um, and I think I enjoyed like the second half of season one as well. Uh, it was one of the things about it is like once the demons started to be a little bit more pronounced, um, they're like naturally this mechanic for helping with characterization. That's like really interesting. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think season two helped a lot with that because it brought the demons more to the forefront. Like Pan was a lot more prominent as like what he's supposed to be, which is the sort of co-protagonist alongside Lyra. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think to your point about characterization, that's a good one. Is like I think season two leveled that up quite a bit like i felt like lyra and will you got to know them really well and their relationship uh in season two and yeah there was just a little more room to breathe and like let characters express themselves yeah agreed i remember i feel like uh, as far as characterization goes i felt like mrs coulter was like hard carrying the first half of season one because hers was like so traumatic right but season two Mm -hmm. definitely evened out everyone else was pretty great too yeah and uh, we'll have a lot. We'll have some interesting demon stuff to talk about in this episode. Uh, I, I guess if you haven't listened to this podcast, uh, Winston, you, you're probably not aware that I, I I had a recurring like semi segment that was like Evan's Demon Corner, okay. where I was like, "What demon stuff happened this episode?" Because cool, cool, cool. <laughs> like in the first season, it was kind of there because I was like, "There's not enough demon stuff," so I was just counting every time that they actually did like any kind of characterization or anything with demons. But then by season two there was like a ton of it and it was like oh cool here's a cool thing they did with the demons this episode nice yeah so last question look at that what's such a good segue winston (laughs) what's your demon uh i've thought about it it feels i'm not sure i think it's a rat um so yeah Mm. i think my demon is it's probably rodent like some sort of rodent um i am like you and Fra Pavel hanging out with right. rat demons. Yeah. No. Oh, that was. <laughs> Anyways. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, think I'm like pretty social, but also timid. So that's like kind of rats, right? I, I said rodents, but I think specifically like social rodents, which would be rats. Um, and then also as a child, I had like my bed was next to the wall. I had like a lot of stuffed animals lined along there, and I would like hide midnight snacks much oh. on inside that pile of so i definitely had like a little snack pile um that's it, rat behavior it is kind of pack rat behavior yeah um yeah so i think it's a rat yeah also i advocate nice. for them right. quite a bit and I, I i send a lot of like rat pet propaganda youtube videos to people <laughs> i feel like that yeah I'm, I'm imagining like that that should exist in the his dark materials world like in lyra's world right of like mm-hmm. you know people who have like bird demons are like they're pro bird like they're they're birders they're really into birds like oh, everybody true. who comes in otaku for whatever their demon animal is yeah i think that makes sense 
maybe it it, it being a birder feels like voyeuristic though you know that's true yeah you kind of like, like uh, you know <laughs> Oh, I am a bird. Like I don't want to be watched <laughs> yeah, like that. Like yeah, right. <laughs> like spying on your uh, All right, cool. So speaking of, I'm a bird. My demon's mm-hmm. a bird, and yours is a rat. So let's get into episode two. Uh, this time, I kind of prepared a little bit more of some notes for myself about what happened because, as with episode one, this was a pretty jam-packed episode. Yeah. Uh, let's kind of, I try to do these synopses a little bit like kind of character by character here. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we start with Will, uh, heading toward Lyra and like the most of the episode is focused around this chapel, uh, by the cliffs in vaguely Iceland ish part of Lyra's world. Is it? I did talk to my dad about this and he was unclear that it was Lyra's world, but I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be her world. That's a good point. That's a good point because Ama doesn't have. Ama has a demon. Yeah. No, she does. She oh, has she does? a squirrel demon. Oh, she does have a squirrel. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. so then that—that's right. I thought I remember that. Um, yeah, yeah. I think the demon is not really present very much. It in was this present episode. in episode one. That's right. I didn't see it yeah, in episode yeah. two really at all. But yeah, that that made uh, it immediately obvious in episode one that it was in the horse world. I think. No, maybe not. But there's just not a lot of yeah. yeah. Well, we're kind of getting Oops. into the discussion, but there's not a lot of um, establishing of the the rest of the area outside of just that right, right. that chapel. So you kind of lose a little bit of understanding of where it's it's situated. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that is like the central set piece of this episode. Uh, Mrs. Coulter is there with Lyra. Will and Balthamos and Yorick are all headed there to save Lyra. And meanwhile, the Magisterium has found where she is thanks to Father Gomez's spy fly. Mm-hmm. And they are now sending airships and a bunch of goons to capture or kill, uh, sort of bring them back dead or alive, both uh, Lyra and Mrs. Coulter. And meanwhile, we get a lot of stuff at Azrael's camp uh, at, at the Republic of Heaven with a bunch of stuff about angels. In particular, this episode, we see that Baruch He gets in a battle in the air outside of the Republic of Heaven and and lands and ultimately dies. And then uh, Azriel interrogates uh, Alarbus, 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 the angel who killed Baruch. And uh, then everything does kind of tie back to that chapel because Azriel discovers that uh, Will has the knife and he needs the knife to kill the authority and will is is like heading toward lyra and so uh begrudgingly which this is a major part of of asriel's little arc in this episode begrudgingly he has to go Ugh, i guess i'll go save my daughter yeah. who i don't like <laughs> so everybody kind of converges on the chapel and that's kind of like the big set piece at the end yeah. of the episode i feel like that covers uh, all the basics i kind of like how tidy this is and that it's all kind of like building up to a single uh big conflict at the end of the episode agreed what do you think? Uh, agreed. Yeah, no, that's I took notes as well. I think I noticed that basically that the episode was maybe I was just paying more attention, but it felt really quite clean, like the way that it was structured. Mm-hmm. The pacing of it was really good because it felt like um, there was very much like a child of destiny feel to this episode because everyone willing or not was kind of like being pulled mm-hmm. towards that chapel, towards Lyra specifically. Right. And um yeah, it's interesting The like sort of there's actually it felt like there were quite a lot of parallels between the different um, the ways that they were being pulled towards it. And that made for like really smooth transitions and like 
kept like ongoing motifs really strong. Um, but yeah, it felt the episode felt sort of like a uh, what are those like the sinkholes, like a whirlpool, right, leading towards that moment. Um, yeah, and I just had this okay. thought sense of gravity. Yeah, right? exactly. I just had this thought that it felt like also when we talk about Azrael, right? Like, um, there's almost something. Maybe maybe there's something to this, right? Like the order in which people showed up, kind oh. of yeah, it kind of emulates their will to power no pun intended like will to destiny or will to lyra <laughs> again no pun intended right but like but but will is first right like will gets there first because he cares almost the most by a lot the magisterium is also like there next and then finally like after everyone is gone Azriel mm-hmm. shows up and he does show up for her right um that's the interesting i really like that line actually that's one of my favorite scenes was he's in the intention craft right and like Mm-hmm. failing to take off and then um uh still maria is like uh you need to like know who oh no she mentions that his mind is kind of like frazzled he's like i know who and what i'm going for and then the first time you see him again as he enters the chapel he's like calling lyra's name um but he ends up being their mm. last because he is a irresponsible father and doesn't want to <laughs> see his daughter ever for some reason <laughs> man this i love this part of this season because we we got none of him in the last season so we really just never got to reckon yeah. with what he did at the end of the of season one yeah. and like lyra's relationship to him and his relationship to her and you know i think on a certain level there may be like it feels like they slightly retconned his attitude toward Lyra because he was a lot warmer toward her in season one, even when he was like being an asshole. Yeah. Um, oops, mm. I said a swear, but uh, <laughs> maybe that's an okay swear. I'll leave that in. I won't believe it. Uh, but but in this season, they are really amping up him being like not just irresponsible, but actively dismissive of her. And, you know, I guess he has a certain love for her, but like doesn't really respect her. Right. Yeah. Or see her as as like worthy of his attention. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point about the retcon. I like wonder why that is or if it's like explainable at all. Because, yeah, there's like a tender a tenderness he has toward her in, at the end of season one. Like, I really like that episode where right. he's. And he's kind of cold to her, but but you can tell that underneath it, he does care about her, and he's kind of trying to like put up this bluster. But he's like all bluster now. I <laughs> like mean, the okay, tenderness so is all gone. Two two points against all bluster, right? Is again one he does show up and like seeking yeah, her, yeah. and then the second one is like, um, still Maria is like fully aware, yes. and that like as yes. far as yeah, as far as like the the relationship of demons towards a person's characterization right like that's their soul and still mario is like i like that she roared at him that was like a that's very such a good scene it was such a it's such a you don't see demons like going that violent towards their their person but uh asriel being asriel and still mario being still mario was like very good and then he like responds to it in, in a like very gentle way she's like i just want you to be honest it was like very touching kind of yeah, I really like, I uh, I mean, I always love the way they use the demons to show people's relationships to themselves. And so, like, oh. Mrs. Coulter has the most interesting one, right? Yeah, Where, like, sure. she and the demon kind of hate each other, yeah, but yeah. they're also teammates at the same time, are, are right? We, like, are they, we in the demon corner now? Are we... We're doing... Let's do the demon have corner. An, There's a lot of good we, stuff. I felt like, because um, on Coulter, um, one thing I didn't notice until the second watching is the bashing her head in with the rock move that she uses as mm-hmm. a, like a faint 
that was the monkey's idea, I think. Oh. Yeah, the monkey, like, glances at the stone and, like, kind of nods towards it, and she, like, sees it, and she's like, all right, <laughs> go for it. Well, also, also, she has hurt the monkey before, right? right. She's hit him. That's and a- so this is, like, this interesting reversal. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And and a reversal that parallels her reversal of allegiances going on here, where she mm. was so focused on helping herself, right, and yeah. uh, and like would hurt her own demon to kind of push through any doubts and make it happen. Mm. But here, the demon is hurting her to try to save Lyra. It's like a selfless act, and the demon is the one who we're starting to see is like has kind of holds that care for Lyra. Hmm. And this is not in the book. Most of this stuff with Coulter is not directly in the book. Like the broad strokes of this happen where she is like, you know, in a a cave instead of a chapel. But a lot of the details here were like written for the show. And I think they're like very, very smart, not just with the demon, but like the whole whole thing. This episode establishes your character very much in like a, Mm -hmm. because, because I think as the viewer, you kind of, can't trust her like ever right, yeah you can never trust <laughs> you're just her like, it's great. i don't yeah. believe anything you're saying like i think you're still a monster on the inside oh you mean it establishes for this season specifically like, like just of, how untrustworthy yeah no no i kind of the opposite sorry the kind of the opposite like mm-hmm. i think i think very many times like it's obvious that like one of her almost like tragic faults is her like motherly attachment to lyra like kind of conflicting with her like greed and power hunger right um, in this episode, there was something she felt like very weirdly weak in a very yes. like, fully honest way where like the viewer kind of has to trust her because it doesn't feel like there could have been any second. There was like no other move left. Like she kind of just gave up and in her like, like sort of final last resort, um, there wasn't really much left except for like her wanting everything safe but feeling like she's failed right like i don't know um i wasn't uh, i'm still not sure how to feel about that um i don't because i don't think she had like what do you what do you think about that right like what was her out when father gomez came like i mean she had that move and if that really was her move it i mean it was very bad <laughs> like i don't think i don't think anyone really could be fooled with the like stone on head thing i she oh, i think she was I think she was just stalling, basically. I think she right. kind of knew it was it probably wouldn't work. But like she said, she was like waiting for Will to come and was surprised he got there first. But uh, it, she never says it, but she was waiting for Azrael to come, too. Oh, uh, fair. Right? Because uh, she said, like, well, I, I knew people would be coming. I didn't think you'd be the first. I see. And, I see. Uh, and I think in the previous episode... She says a line to her demon where she says, I thought he'd be here sooner. Mm. And it's it's not clear if she's talking about Will or Azrael, but the fact that she was surprised Will got there first makes me think that oh. she she thought Azrael would get there. Yeah. So she's kind of just buying time, like literally. I but it, you're right, it's like a it's a desperate move. Yeah. It's like, I got nothing left except to wait for Azrael to show up and just do anything I can to get them to like yeah. save two seconds and yeah. then not yeah. kill Lyra. Right? Okay, okay. Okay, that's an interesting. That's an interesting read of it. I was like, not. I was pretty confused. I was like, this feels like a very bad move and uncharacteristic because I, I just, I'm so used. I think to it her, is. Yeah, making like really yeah. sick plays. <laughs> this one was quite, quite bad. Well, but also, man, she's she's like the she's always the star of like every scene she's in, but she yeah. really is like the star of this episode. Mm-hmm. 
and uh she is in this very weak and vulnerable position but i really like that she's she never really stops scheming Mm -hmm. all episode right Right. even when she's like she's having that conversation with will where she's pleading with him but especially by the end of the episode when you look back on it you're like she's still kind of acting like she's she's putting on a little bit of a character there to try to get will to her side she right even when she's at her most Mm -hmm. desperate she's like still Mm -hmm. still Mm -hmm. tricking people (laughs) yeah i mean i think that's partly that's not so much a like a lack of power as it is just like obviously her standard mo the interest i really her interaction with will and will like you can really just also call it a conflict like her conflict with will in this episode was really interesting because right again she's not just trying to defeat him she now she's trying to like turn him to her side right right, but but it's that's that feeling is not mutual like will is there kind of defeat her i think yes yeah 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 (laughs) he goes in there and that's a really interesting scenario right because it was again something that i like i'm not used to seeing which is just like coulter losing so badly was her their first interaction together like she honestly really just got Mm. completely played by him like he went there and he's like all right i'm out and then he just leaves she's like what and that's like a really interesting move right because i you wouldn't expect you don't usually see her get uh tricked so easily right um and i i think i said this in our group watch but she got tricked because will lied mm. which will doesn't usually do true right and it i think there's a, probably and it's supposed to be a little bit of a an implication there that will is picking up some lyra skills <laughs> like will previously would not have done something like you know negotiate with mrs coulter pretend he doesn't really care enough about lyra and walk away and then actually sneak back in right like that's a right, level of guile right. that he doesn't typically do that's fair i like that i like that read yeah i think they you know they influence each other mm-hmm. right like will has made lyra more kind of responsible in some ways right and then lyra's made will a little more impulsive and and spontaneous will's, right will's been pretty tricky though right because i think in episode one he he kind of outwits york too right there's that moment and it's partially it it's presented as like an act of strength but it's it's definitely like an act mm. of trial, so that's true that's true ruth wilson we just got to highlight that performance like particularly in that that scene by like the fire where she's talking to will yes. uh is so just like spellbinding mm-hmm. uh and the way i mean she's she's so good the way she throws all these little like little expressions in between stuff and like i i feel like probably speaking for you too here but like for me the the real highlight there is that bit where she says that she hates me yes god and like the way that wilson <laughs> delivers the line where she's just like kind of like can't totally get it out with a straight face Mm -hmm. right because it hurts her so much to say it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i uh i agree and i have a second layer to it in the sense that i will never trust anything she does so Mm. on top of it being super (laughs) convincing it is like i i naturally just have like a combative nature with that character where her acting well is feels like aggressive to me like me being convinced of her loyalty to Lyra uh, yeah, every yeah, single yeah. time I feel like I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I think you're lying, but it's working. <laughs> but I, well, I, I think she doesn't, I know she I, doesn't totally understand it is what's yeah, so interesting. Yeah. It's like, she is truly like held 
captive by this force she doesn't understand yeah. right and yeah, and she's like using all of her powers of like evil to do like a good thing sort of but it's like she doesn't know how to be good right she yeah. knows how to like kidnap children yeah, yeah. like so and it's, that's it's, all she's able it's to highlighted do with the way that her and her demon relate too right like mm-hmm. that's kind of character she is. um yeah yeah she's just an absolute gem in this episode and i love the way she's made up too like all of her her costuming she uh i think we were talking about this in the group watch like she's sort of softer and and just like feels less threatening i think because of how she's uh how she's costumed yeah yeah for sure but she's of course still a threat I love the fact that like as soon as the knife breaks, she just grabs a gun and she's like, "Okay, I'm done here. Like, I'm done. I'm done doing oh, this whole act." My like, yeah. God, wait. <laughs> a thing that I had forgotten after watching episode three is what happens with that gun in episode two. She grabs a gun and within like five minutes of screen time, will kill someone. Oh, that's right. With that gun, yep. That is so crazy to me. Like the I remembered the way that episode ended with like. Will and Lyra bonding, watching it again and like being reminded of him being like a. I mean, it's not the first time he's murdered, is the thing, right? Yeah, but this is the first time that he yeah. did it on purpose. Yeah, it it was like the the scene where they're holding hands. It has like a different meaning almost when you keep that in mind. Like he's not being kept awake for like he's being he's sleepless for like more than one reason, right? Um, yeah, and it it uh, parallels a bit of what Lyra said like to Pan when they first uh, mm-hmm. like when she read the alethiometer about Will yeah. right and it was yeah. like he's a murderer and Pan was like whoa and she's like no but the good kind like Yorick <laughs> yeah. right True. and it's like yeah, you know Yorick also did some Yurik, murdering yeah. Yorick did some murdering but like he did some murdering to uh, to right a wrong and to protect Lyra and like I think it it works very well there that it's like this is what will is willing to do and this is like mm-hmm. what lyra means when she says mm-hmm. the good kind of murderer it's like someone yep. who will do anything to protect what he loves yep also uh goaded is ama <laughs> ama's so good the way she actually jumps <laughs> yeah. on that guy's back i love that touch God. i'm glad they had her in yeah. there like she's supposed to leave and she's like nope, nope. i'm gonna help these kids out Tackle this guy let's go <laughs> um one yeah. thing we haven't talked about, and it's someone who shows up in my notes a lot, even though it doesn't feel like as emotionally charged as all of this other stuff, um, is Alarbus. There our, he is. Our boy, Alarbus. Our boy. <laughs> he's a, he's, I actually really like his scenes. Yeah, me too. I think he's a good, uh, kind of convincing bad dude. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, uh, his, his scenes have been quite interesting. I think like, uh, as exposition, they're useful. And then also um, as the second layer, kind of, right? Because we have this in this sort of initial layer, this initial focus around the sort of almost like relational family love related dynamics of like Lyra and Coulter and Will and Asriel and even the Magisterium. But then, but actually Magisterium kind of is on this other layer where there's this like the grand war right is like happening um and alarbus i feel like uh is somewhat of a focus of that aspect right it's always kind of in asriel's camp but like alarbus's scenes this episode um were exposition for that and also transitioned into uh, like like brought that note into the episode multiple times um like yeah, once he's, he's your window into the yeah. real enemy yeah right 
and like it, it yeah his scenes help to up the stakes and there, there's a there's a line in at the end of season one that Azrael says that i feel like this kind of brings back without like directly saying it but it's like you know Coulter says something about the magisterium and he's like oh i found a much bigger enemy <laughs> right. the enemy right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. i'm going for the big guy upstairs and it's interesting so the the one of the transitions i noticed like around that topic is um Azrael's torturing Alarvis, and he's asking him he's like what does metatron want and Alarvis answers with that like soliloquy about destroying all of free will and whatnot and then immediately the line that i believe is from the book which i love a permanent inquisition <laughs> yeah Very yeah <laughs> and then it immediately cuts to um uh mary scene with the girls at, and mm. them talking about the temple right and it cuts to that and it's like a very soft and very human thing but after the thing that you were just after the scene that uh you just watched it is like so much more ominous right it's not because it's basically saying like the magisterium and the temple are going to win yeah there's like an extinction they're going to win across like yeah across every world that side of this conflict is going to win if these guys win right yeah yeah and i like the way that they've i mean there's a there's a definite political angle to this season that i appreciate Mm -hmm. where like they're going a little bit more direct at like uh definitely at like the organized religion thing like it, it's pretty hard to not read yeah. that in this yeah. season yeah. uh with the, all the witch hunt stuff like there's, there's that great bit with um Ruda where she talks about that right, right. like that you know oh they, they burned witches or i think uh Ogunway talks about it but the two of them are talking uh but like yeah i mean there's the bit with mary where they they talk about girls not being uh, allowed to go to school and stuff it's like it's definitely making some parallels to like actual religious fundamentalism in the real world yeah yeah, I kind of I'm a, I have some mixed feelings on on you know in general the show has some issues around expressing its scope where it's like there's kind of budgetary constraints and so like characters will just be standing in relatively like circumscribed sets and describing big things happening elsewhere, <laughs> which is kind of like what's going on in the Alarbus scene. Yeah, uh, but I do kind of on the flip side I like the way that they've like taken that limitation and tried to turn it into a bit of like a don't show the monster thing where it's like okay we're going to kind of build up this idea that like Azriel just has to get metatron and the authority to show themselves and like you're not going to see them because like that's the hard thing is to get them to actually like come out from wherever they're hiding and face you and you you don't know who like what he looks like you don't know what metatron looks like like Azriel had to torture a guy to find out his name yeah right what do you take? What's what's your take on Siphonia and Alarvis' scene? I thought that one was like it. It was a weird note. Um, it it's a little yeah. Her her thing is a little weird. It's like a bit of a deviation from the books, so it's kind of new stuff. I I think well, Alarvis is not in the book. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Siphonia is a, a you know side character in the books, mm. but yeah, I think. It's not. I feel like they're they haven't given us enough time to really know what Zephania's deal is. Like, is she on Azrael's side? We mostly see her kind of like being seemingly anti-Azrael, but uh, she's like it's just never established. Is she part of the council? Is she? Right. Are the angels on Azrael's side? Like, didn't they agree to help him? And like, she's there, so presumably she's kind of on his side. But I, I ha- they haven't really 
it's a little confusing right now like and she seems unhappy about an angel being kept prisoner and tortured right yeah body language wise she almost entirely only ever side eyes him uh asriel like she yeah, i feel like yeah. whenever she's in a room she's never facing him she's kind of facing off to the side and like kind of looking over the shoulder yeah it's kind of like she's not on alarbus's side because she's like one of the rebel angels so she's clearly like opposed to the authority but it's you know if you try to reason it out with what we know you're like okay so she's against like i guess being against torture is good but she's she's against this idea of like hurting another angel but it's like well what what else are you gonna do right. <laughs> you're, you're trying to fight the big angel yeah he's gonna he's gonna hurt everyone he's gonna yeah hurt all the guys yeah a little confusing um i also really liked the bit where alarbus uh again just sort of like trying to set stakes through dialogue where he's like he says you know metatron he doesn't even know your name oh i like that scene. yeah like, I like that scene yeah, I just really I like all the stuff that is is really establishing the uh what we're talking about here. Like Asriel's not talking about like killing some guy who's a bad dude. Like Asriel's talking about killing God. And so Alarbus is like, God doesn't even know about you. He's got bigger things to deal with. Right. Asriel's bad about it too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little bit, I mean, like, it's the interesting point to his character where he's already he's very like obviously egotistical but it in a lot of ways it's like kind of played off as charisma almost right Mm -hmm. like no one else could do this thing but him but in that moment it's kind of like it really it's a moment of like humility that does not go over well with him he's but I guess yeah. I mean, I yeah. <laughs> I mean, I kind of said last episode like his whole thing is just to be as annoying as possible until God shows up. So it's like he's just he's trying to yeah. get noticed by yeah. senpai. <laughs> oh. Yeah, S- stirring up a racket. Let me look at my notes. Uh, oh, you know, there's there's Balthamos and Baruch stuff. There's the mm-hmm. Baruch dies, and then we get the scene of Balthamos being distraught about that. Yeah, it's sad. I was a little bit disappointed in this the way this is all delivered mm. personally uh i don't love the actor for balthamos like i don't love his performance yeah he felt a little bit uh it's interesting right because you have you have to kind of you have to almost reason that you're like oh no he just like feels a lot more than us because he's an angel because the first read of it it feels kind of like he he feels so lost it's like aren't you like extremely ancient and very wise uh obviously this is like deep grief but uh <laughs> I don't know. He he's acting somewhat erratically, right? I don't know if that's what you're talking about. That's that's sort of my. That uh, no, I think the. I mean, problems. I feel like that's accurate to the book, mm-hmm. and I wasn't really disappointed with that. It's oh, okay. like Balthamus loses his composure when Baruch dies right, in the yes. book, yeah. and that's like kind of the whole thing. But no, I just I just feel like the actor is he feels pretty wooden. Like mm-hmm. he just feels like he's sort of dictating when mm-hmm. he speaks instead of like he's truly feeling that grief. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Uh, which to me is just like Balthamos is sort of, you know, now now that we're not spoiling Baruch's death here, uh, it's like, yeah, Balthamos is sort of defined by Baruch's death in this book. And so like he's defined by that grief. And so I feel like that's not really coming through the way I wanted to. Uh, looking through. Oh, OK, a couple. Well, we're I don't want to run too long here, but a couple more things that that need mentioning. 
uh, things that got introduced this episode that we haven't talked about, the Galavespians. Oh, I don't yeah. know if they actually say the word Galavespian, <laughs> but that's the little little fairy guys mm-hmm. with the wings. Mm-hmm. What do we think about this? Uh, I like Roke a lot. I mean, Roke is like, uh, I think as far as like, yeah, their, their introduction is pretty incomplete, but how mad they are is like immediately evident, I think. <laughs> like, I don't know, like Roke acts uh they're they all are very terse and they're all very angry all the time and it's great i like that a lot about them um that yeah I, I, the way yeah. Rook acts uh around asriel is interesting to me. he is like easily maybe not the least subservient but like definitely there's a bit of zest there you know i don't know the uh yeah, I think there's a good, uh, I, I like the dynamic they're building with the Republic of Heaven where you've got like, Ogunway is the new kid, right? Who's yeah. like asking all the questions and kind of like, what's going on here? Angels? Man, I don't know, right? Like he's kind of that guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then like Ruta is maintaining her whole thing of being just like very mad, like fire and brimstone, let's mm-hmm. kill everybody. Mm-hmm. And also um, acts as the person from from Lyra's world, right? The one that is like right, right. specifically hating Magisterium. Yeah, yeah, she's like, she's got a grudge, mm-hmm. right? She's like, she's in this because of a, a grudge. And uh, and yeah, Roke feels like the most kind of like getting the job done guy so far. Yep. We don't really get much of him, but he's kind of like, he's just like, yes, sir. Yep. But also like, I think we see a little bit of this in the next episode where he's a little bit, I think, you get the sense that he's like, he's questioning Azrael a little bit, but he's also, he's kind of just matter of fact, get the job done mm-hmm. guy. Um, there's also, mm, uh, there's the knife breaking, which we haven't talked about yet, but that's cause, uh, you know, it's like the, it's from Coulter talking to Will about his mother while he's, uh, while he's trying to cut. It's an interesting moment. I don't I know. like the parallels. Yeah. Like it's... the, yeah, the, the way that they made the, the scenes before it all about the connection between a mother and a child, right. Yeah. To build up to that scene. Yeah. I, I I don't know how much I can talk about the scene um, to not break house rules. In the sense <laughs> that, like, I feel like it's a very, it's an extremely interesting scene, but I think it almost is like, I mean, I, you know, uh, I think the, the interesting part of it is basically it's establishing uh, something, a connection between Will and the knife that, like, I don't think we've, like, understood previously. Um, like, I think it's been previously sort of established as a very like cerebral connection, right? Like it's been mm. about focus, it's about willpower, and then it's not so much about. Um, I think it's this like one of many things, tools almost in this, um, in this episode specifically, also that is about like intention and that's true, and, like emotion, right? Um, it's it's giving us also this sort of like a second. It's sort of like contextual understanding of what dust is almost, right? Um, well, yeah, I think that's like a that's a thing in the books that I'm glad they're leaning into in this season is the all the parallels between all of these different machines that are all operating in a similar way off of this idea of like intention and in some cases a certain like kind of creativity and just like the the conscious mind, right? Being like directed toward something. Yeah, it's like and the I think theometer. Yep. The subtle knife, the intention craft, uh, Mary. We see her still using the the I Ching to mm-hmm. to navigate, right? Like uh, the the cave from last season. Uh, her computer. It's all kind of like 
they're all in the same realm. And I think right? I think in the case of the intention craft and also the knife, uh, one aspect of it that highlights how they sometimes don't work is a lack of like self understanding. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, like the intention craft will not take off if you do not actually understand yourself. And in this case, the knife is like shattered because Will has. Because he's conflicted. Yeah. Has conflicted Just issues. like Stelmaria exactly. says about Azrael. That's a good uh, parallel you noticed. Right. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Um, it's, it's been, it's, that's a very like rich, <laughs> uh, rich mechanic that is. Like, yeah. I think really it's exciting. something Pullman really yeah. excelled at in the, in that book, it, like in the third book in particular is tying it all together and like kind of having it be this sort of unified mechanic, like you said, mm -hmm. that like that drives all of these different magical things in the world. But it's not like a super lore heavy magic system. It's just the same concept is like underlying all of these different things. Yeah, it's it's actually pretty. Um, I think it's interesting that they use the I Ching. It's almost Taoist, too, in the way he talks about it, because it's like um, it's this thing that starts off as they're just like this dust and you're like, OK, whatever. But then, like, basically, mm. eventually it is described not through what it is, but, like, through how it functions. Um, and I think you get, like, through the way the knife works, through the way the intention craft works, you get an understanding of, like, how, what dust might be, kind of through the way that mm. people, people's intentions and emotions and feelings, like, influence things that are powered by dust or, like, deeply related to dust, right? And I think through that, like, you eventually understand what dust is, but it's not, like, it's never easily, it's not something that's, like, easily explicitly said, right? Um, right, which is maybe a little tough in a TV series. Sure. For people, people need to be really paying attention to pick up on that, but I agree, that's one of, like, the beauties of this story, of the original story, and I think they're doing their best to do that, like, with all these parallels. Uh, okay, other things. We did get that dream with Lyra, and I believe this is the first time we hear the key location the land of the dead. That's where Roger is. I thought you were going to say Roger. <laughs> oh, yeah. She does Roger. say Roger a lot. Roger! <laughs> Roger! I was talking to my dad, and he was like, I think he was being sarcastic. He was like, well, you know, one thing I love is getting to hear Lyra yell, Roger! <laughs> I mean, He's like, that's it. Yep, we get a lot of that in, the, in the dream sequence. <laughs> I felt like they did one too many Rogers uh, when she's like on that little raft thing. <laughs> But yeah, he's in the land of the dead, and yes. uh, we haven't had that explained yet. Obviously, we know what's up. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a little bit of, like, yeah, it's an interesting amount of, yeah, I don't know. There's, like, some foreshadowing. It uh, seems spooky. Uh, I think that actually, now that I think about it, is probably the most um, significant pan moment, too, in that episode. Um, oh, yeah. Right? Because pan, pan is place is pretty low-key throughout that episode but in that scene mm -hmm. pan is like where did you go I right yeah he was like he wasn't able to join yeah. her in the dream right yeah and that is actually something i noticed in episode one like um when it was first shown but not explained i was like you see lyra alone and that is like it's, mm -hmm. it's they've done a good job right it's as a viewer you're like this is jarring to see lyra like that's something that's very wrong here you know yeah, I mean, um, like Lyra and Pan are are one being always together. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah one being. Okay, uh, we do we got to talk about Father Gomez and Mrs. Coulter, but first, I I just want to point out uh, the line that my sister said when we were watching episode two, which is in that scene with Alarvis, 
where uh, Asriel is like, you know, uh, I've spent my entire adult life uh, trying to discover what dust is. I even murdered an innocent boy to harness it. And my sister was just like, weird flex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Poor Roger. Yeah, I kill kids. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. I'm a cool dude. Oh, God. Republican heaven's got so many kid murders. It's a little... Yeah, it's a lot of, lot of kid kid murder going on. Yeah. Uh, so, we, yeah, Father Gomez shows up to, uh, to kill Lyra. And I just, yeah, we got to talk a little bit about this scene, sure. which I thought was great. Yeah. Uh, I love that Father Gomez is like never a mustache twirling villain. Mm-hmm. And he sounds pretty nice in this episode. If you didn't know that what he was talking about was murdering a child. Speaking yeah. of child murderers. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's like being very gentle and he's like, you know, I, you know, I'm here to help you through it. And like, you, sh- you know, you should have done her the kindness of her dying in her mother's arms. It's dark. Like, it's real dark. Yeah, it's really I mean, dark. I like Father Gomez quite a bit. He's he's extremely yeah. messed up. Um, that's yeah, yeah. He really does come off as like in a way that like uh, McPhail doesn't. Where McPhail is like just like bad dude, basically, right? Like very. Yeah, I love. It. I do like McPhail. I like that actor. He's got that like quivering yeah, yeah. intensity to him. But uh, but Gomez does come off like the nice priest who's there, here to help you through confession and stuff but like he's actually talking about killing kids there is somewhat of like a duality between those two right because they both show themselves they both play the role of zealot but mcphail mm-hmm. is very much like fiery right fiery yeah. preaching brimstone whereas um gomez i did this is not something this is not how i ever imagined him reading the book gomez often comes off as like somewhat seductive like not even somewhat, I think. Like Gomez is there's like a aspect of seduction to him that is like very, mm-hmm. very like really creepy, right? Like because you see it in the the scene with um Fra Pavel, like that is yeah. a very like it's an extremely perverted scene in the sense that like you, knowing the taboo between like touching someone else's demon is like it's extremely perverse. Um, and then in this one, he like uh he kind of mimic because like physical touch is like used by like not necessarily in a sexual way but like in a like in a seductive and like charming way by a lot of characters like you see it earlier between Coulter and will um where she like makes Mm -hmm. a physical connection to him to try to like drive home the like idea of like motherly love and then in this one like gomez like dabs away the blood from her forehead which she like recoils from in like horror um and it, it is it continues to be the sort of like he's this gentle uh he yeah he's playing the role of like a gentle healing priest but like mm-hmm. what he's doing is like <laughs> really not that vibe right um yeah i love it yeah. it's a great it's a really good tension um and then there's uh there's two two one-liners in uh, in those scenes one that is very good uh and then one that is very bad which is uh the good one is when mrs coulter hits him with the rock and she's like i forget exactly what she says but it's like oh i guess you were right about that strength, strength that i have <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then she's like she's again ruth wilson the absolute best the way she just sort of like tosses the rock aside like well i'm done with this guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> wait and what's then, the bad uh, one th- 
Well, you know, look, we love Lord Azrael when he's got oh. good dialogue, but there's the scene where they show up and still Maria is like, that you know we got here too late and it's like that's it that's all you need mm -hmm. right you can mm -hmm. end the scene right there but instead he goes damn like yeah i know i know <laughs> i know you're mad like it's just a very like actually very random damn wait, in the middle no there. that damn was oh man yeah you're right it's really bad um it has significance <laughs> but like not in a constructive way it's very confusing right. you're like wait do you care <laughs> or no <laughs> like that doesn't seem Asriel sometimes gets saddled with uh, some bad lines. I mean, he yeah. has the worst line in the entire show in the first episode of of season one, uh, where he says everyone's special as he's getting on the airship. Cool. It's, it's true. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're running uh, longer than I intended, so we should we should wrap up. Uh, quick final thoughts, Winston, on this episode. Uh, I liked it. It was tight. It was... Uh a good convergence of like a bunch of storylines and it was like really dramatic and also york like munched a bunch of guys always good to see yeah we got to see some good york content yeah. in here sad he doesn't have his helmet anymore because will screwed it up uh, <laughs> we get to see his like cute whole cute face it's okay mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I agree. Uh, this was like a really tight episode. I think it was an improvement on episode one and spoilers for next episode. Uh, episode three, not as good. Uh, not nearly as tight as this episode. Um, so yeah, so far, kind of of what I've seen, this is the highlight. And uh, yeah, it's like I was really looking forward to this scene from the book. This this is also like a kind of like mid-book climax. And I felt like they did a good job with it here. So yeah. agree. excited. So, uh, to wrap up here, where can people find you if they want, if you want to be found oh, Winston, online oh, or anything? Oh, that's funny. Um, no, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't be found <laughs> online. Sorry. That's all good. I, I don't have social. You can, you can just be Winston, that guy on the podcast. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much, that's fine. I'm this voice and, uh, that's all you'll ever find of me online. This will be uh, my well, only online yeah. artist. Especially nowadays, that's a good place to be. I, on the other hand, am on Twitter, the worst website on earth. So that's uh, Vamptvo, V-A-M-P-T-V-O. That's where you can find me. And I'm on Mastodon, uh, same thing, Vamptvo at Mastodon.social. And you can find more Shadow Particles on shadowparticles.club for the, uh, the podcast website and all that. And uh, episodes are on iTunes and Spotify. And finally, you can email the show at shadowparticlespodcast at gmail.com if you have any comments or questions, and I'll read them on the podcast. Thanks for coming on, Winston. This yeah, was a great that, discussion. That was super fun. Cheers. I'll see you for next week's watch party where we're going to watch episode three. Later. Bye.